Welcome to the SBS podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. goes quick stepper starting to line it up who's got the wheel peter sagan sagan it is who waits patiently it's still lampard at the front mercury richesi viviani he is in the box seats and the boxing is happening with peter sagan he has pushed christoph out of the way caleb ewan is there grudewagen gets behind caleb ewan the sprint now opens up for richesi viviani is waiting Philipson is white, he's trying to come. Here goes Grunewagen, Viviani, Ewan, Caleb Ewan, Peter Sagan. It's Grunewagen. It's Grunewagen by the closest of margins. We'll wait for the photo, but the Dutchman looks to have collected. And what a win for Grunewagen and how close and heartbreaking is it for Caleb Ewan. This is one hell of a finish. Before we debrief all this, let me remind you that you can download, stream or subscribe to our podcast on our website sbs.com.au slash tdf or log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Joining me in this podcast today, of course, is Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? Bonjour, bonjour. I forgot. <laughs> I can't, but you've got, what are you, journey's fatigue? Come on, mate. We're one week in and you're already starting starting to fold to pieces. What's going on? I'm still a rookie. Incredible. I don't know. I was just mesmerized by that finish. I must say I'm mesmerized because I did not see any second of racing today. I've got to be honest. I haven't seen any racing today because I've done the domestic work. From the top of the show, before we, before we you know, sink our teeth into what unfolded, I think it just needs to be said. And I know, listen, you, you, you all might complain, jump up and down and say, come on, you two, stop patting each other on the back and back slapping and all this but it has to be said you are you are hands down your domestique of the day because let's um, explain yeah let's yeah, explain well i have to explain it and you know <laughs> firstly you didn't see one single minute of the bike race not a pedal not a stroke of a pedal not a single one you picked a good day to miss it by the way because not much happened so maybe i'm not a rookie after all nah, well i'll give you that one but you did off the back of last night we got to our hotel at quarter to 10 we had not eaten anything since you know sort of lunchtime if that you drummed up the hotel to, to service up eight pizzas, which they did. So well done there, tick. There was cold beer on offer as well, double tick. And then today we got in, you came in later from the start, of course, and you did everyone else's washing. So, I mean, seriously, if anyone wants to disagree with me, well, too bad because that is domestique of the day. Well done. Pat, I'll pat you on the back. Thank you. And I've got all the photos on social media to prove <laughs> it. So this is true. Okay, let's talk cycling. Let's talk racing. Grunewagen, Jumbo Visma. What a finish. So much power. We will debrief all this. But first of all, top of the show, three wins. I mean, how strong is Jumbo Visma this year? Yeah, they they are exceptional, aren't they? And and Grunewagen really was the man to win the stages. And he's only just claimed his first now. And when I say only, I mean, he, he crashed and... Uh, a bit of commotion going on behind us, a few journos. They start to go a little bit loose in the first week. That's what happens on the tour. Everyone goes a bit crazy. And I thought we were, I thought they were actually going to land on top of me just then. We sort of looked a bit nervous. And you, you looked nervous and I turned around. I was like, hang on a minute. And if I protect you, does that make me super domestic again tomorrow? <laughs> oh, gee, I'll shout you a good uh, bottle of Burgundy that you won't even drink. But anyway, uh, no, back, back to the race. Um, 
yes, in a word, superb, Yama Visma. And Grunewingen as well. We remember that, that huge fall on the stage that was for him for the picking. Uh, but we sort of always believe that he, he, he's got, he had a stage in him at least on this Tour de France. Yes, we did. And, and I think it was a case of waiting to see if he'd recovered or not. And I think we knew early on today because they did put, I think, at least one rider on the front just setting tempo. It was only a break of two, longest stage of the day. It was pretty boring, to say the least. Uh, I, think, I think we can all agree on that. But the sprint finish was super exciting. And Caleb Ewan, by the narrowest of margins, there wasn't much in it. I've got a theory. I've got a theory on the sprinters, and I'm being serious for a moment. Caleb, he missed the jump of Gronovagen, not by much. It was a split second. He saw him go and he jumped immediately. He was quicker. If you look at the aerial shot, Caleb was quicker because he had to make up half a bike and he only lost by about an inch. I've got this theory on first-time sprinters at the Tour de France. Even though they're confident, the Tour's another beast. And I feel like they, most of them in their first Tour, they always hesitate slightly. And then finally when they do, if they are winners, when they do finally get that first victory, it opens the floodgates and then they go on their merry way. And I feel like for Caleb, that's just the, he's just got to get the monkey off the back. And he, he will get it. I, know, I actually think he will get it in this Tour, but he's just been hesitating a couple of times and it's cost him. So you, your theory is that he hasn't actually, inverted comma, lost that stage on the finish line, but maybe a few metres before because he was just that half a bike length behind Grunewagen. Look, I'd, I'd, I'm confident that if he watched the aerial shot, the replay aerial shot of himself and Grunewagen, I think he, well, he would totally see because it's there. For, you don't, that's, there's no argument. Grunewagen slightly jumped, uh, jumped first slightly before Caleb. And the second part is, he closed the gap on Grunewagen to the line. So if he had jumped at the same time, he would have won the stage. Now, you know, could have, should have and would have. I've never been one for that. But it's just an interesting dissection of it. And, um, you know, I think what he can take away from it is that he's, he's got good form. Let's listen to Caleb Ewan. Yeah, we, we did it a little bit differently today. Um, yeah, I just wanted them to basically put me on a, a good wheel. And that's exactly what they did. And... Um, usually in the end of the end of the stage, in the last kilometer, I can kind of do it by myself, and um, yeah, that's what I did say. I followed the right wheels, and I started my sprints when I wanted to start it. And uh, I think I, I almost did a perfect sprint, but um, yeah, dealing with just a bit quicker. You're in good spirits. I know we just asked that, but you are in good spirits. Do you feel like it's you're right there? You're knocking on the door. No one's home yet, but you feel like uh, you're very close. Yeah, I'm definitely frustrated not to get a win because I feel like I have the legs to do it, and um, you know, it's better than if I was, you know, coming 10th or 11th. Um, you know, I know I'm right there and just with a little bit of luck on my side, I can, I think I can definitely go for a win. So that was Caleb Ewan. Another part as well of that sprint, because, okay, I haven't seen the race live, but I've been lucky enough to watch some of the replays because I'm a, at least half a decent professional in this, uh, <laughs> in this role. But uh, Dukinik, quick step the lead out they did for Viviani and then in the end they're not winning the stage I mean they, they work really hard do you think there's a bit of disappointment there? Totally and again they missed the jump of Gronewagen and Caleb Ewan they missed the jump and, and you know Gronewagen was first to jump probably Caleb was second and that's it. I mean, we're getting we're that close to the line. And, I mean, I'd have to go back and actually look at the vision right now. But De Koenig had Morkov, uh, Ricchesi, and then, of course, Viviani. So they had the 
Viviani really probably made the mistake by not jumping first. He probably should have won that stage because he did have the best lead out of all of those sprint trains. So there's a good point in what Caleb mentions about the will of Peter Sagan. Was that tactically planned? How much power do you get in behind someone like Peter Sagan? Well, it's not how much power you get... Uh, well, in the sense of what you don't get any extra power. You just, but in the sense, I meant confidence and, uh, and and knowing where you're placed. Yeah, you get a lot because Peter Sagan in a bunch sprint pretty much is a sure thing. As in, he's going to be there or thereabouts. He very rarely goes missing. You know, how often do we see at the moment Peter Sagan tenth on a sta- on a sprint stage? You don't. He's either fourth, he's fifth, he's third, or he wins like he did the other day. So he's a safe bet. So I think. Based on, on Caleb's interview and what we saw unfold, yes, they deliberately dropped him on the wheel of Peter Sagan and then he had to box for himself, which he said he was happy to do. So, you know, and he said, he said, I got a clean run to the line, which he did. He just left his move a little bit late. But, you know, wrap it all up any way you want. I think that the good thing to take out of this is that he's got good form. His spirits are actually really high. When you listen to his voice in that interview, his spirits are, are high. Uh, and the team, I watched, I looked at the team, the directors, Mark Sargent uh, and uh, John Lalong, uh, you know, after that interview, they're actually pretty happy. They're all pretty pleased with him. So there's not a big amount of pressure on him. And I tell you what, if he does not win a stage at the Tour, they won't be putting more pressure on him. It's his first year with the team. He's won a lot of races for them already. So he's in a good place there. He really is. And coming back to the point you made about the, the, the fact that you're always a bit hesitant on your first few tours, our very own Robbie McEwen was exactly that. He didn't win until way into his career. And then when he won, you know, he was the third tour. When he started to win, oh boy, he won some place, some, some really good stages. Yeah, look, Robbie, I mean, we, we've talked about it in the past, but, you know, to briefly just go back over it, it was his third tour to France and it was the final stage on the Champs-Élysées. He didn't have a contract for the next year. He was sort of out of sorts with his current team, which was Rabobank. So he had his back against the wall and then he delivered. And he delivered in spades. He did it easy. If you rewatch that stage win of Robbie McEwen, his very first one on the Champs-Élysées, he won with ease. And you sort of go, and I know the Champs-Élysées always delivers something different, but you're like, gee, you could have done that, you know, throughout that first two. And I maintain, and Robbie might disagree, he might, he might not, but I still say that sprinters in their first tour, they get the, they just get a little case of the jitters and that, that confidence. But when they nail the first one, if they are destined to be superstars, they go on and win. And Caleb is. He's winning races already. He's won Grand Tour stages. So he will, he will knock over a Tour one soon. Absolutely, and let's hope so. Uh, Grunewagen from there, do you think Jumbo can also, Jumbo Vista can dominate some of those sprint stages again this Tour? Well, they can, but there's few and far between at the moment. And when I say few and far between, the next one, I think, is in about three or four days' time because we've got a couple of, not mountain stages, but reasonably, you know, hilly days where we'll see breaks potentially succeed or someone like Juliana Alaphilippe potentially trying to snatch back that uh, yellow jersey off Giulio Ciccone. We've been uh, terrorising yesterday over beer and pizza, actually, uh, on what would Alaphilippe need? in order to, to climb that yellow jersey because you know what, I really think that he will at least try. They're not done with that yellow jersey at the Kinnick. No, I don't think so. And I think the question now is how far can Alaphilippe go? You know, will he, will he push for general classification or will he deliberately lose 20 minutes, 10 minutes on the first mountain stage so he can go for the polka dot or another stage win? 
looking at a rider like him, you know, we keep telling everyone he's not a GC rider. He can't win a, a Tour de France. He can't win a Grand Tour. Why? Because we were probably saying the same thing about, I know, a certain Sir Bradley Wiggins. Yes. Yeah, I was going to tell you to put it to bed and leave. Put your I've got a kid. I've got a killer argument here. <laughs> come on then. Come on. Offload it. Come on. No, no. But some uh, Bradley Wiggins no, was a, wasn't destined to win a Grand Tour. He was the, fr- the the first one to do it for Sky. But the difference with Bradley Wiggins, incredibly huge engine. So he was a world champion in the pursuit team's pursuit on the track. He had a huge engine, so he always had that that motor. I don't. Julian Alaphilippe does not have the engine that Bradley Wiggins had, and that's not a that's not a, 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 a criticism. It's just a different style of rider. I won't I won't completely say he can't win the tour though. I'm, I'm with you. I'll you know I'll can, I'll sit on the fence once again. <laughs> no no I won't completely say he won't. Never will. I don't think he ever will. Because he's he's more of that one day classic specialist rider, you know the Ardennes and and, and you know Milan San Remo that he won this year. But the sport is evolving, and if Alaphilippe, you know, he's still reasonably young, if he can evolve in the next three four years, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay before we leave uh, Chalon-sur-Saône, little fact about the city here: this is where photography, uh, the person that invented photography, was born. There you go. You learn something on the podcast every day. I heard that. I heard that. Actually, Matt Keenan said it in the world feed before we went to air with the SBS coverage. And I looked at Matty and went, oh, show off. Again, you're just plucking out these, you know, this knowledge. And now you too. Oh, gee, come on. You're uh, everywhere around you, mate. <laughs> okay, tomorrow it's uh, an interesting stage. We're going from Macon to Saint-Etienne. Another fact for you, Saint-Etienne is also a team known for its football team. Uh, they were in uh, very strong in Europe, in, uh, in European Cups in the 70s. What can we make of this stage tomorrow? It's 200 kilometers. Seven categorized climbs. The highest we go, though, is, uh, and when I say highest in category, is category two. In terms of elevation, we jump up to about 800 metres, just a touch over. So it's not a mountain stage, and it's a little bit easier, well, obviously, without that summit finish that we saw to uh, La Planche de Bethy. So, But what it is, is a day for the breakaway, I believe, because there's a Category 2, Category 2, 2, 3, 2, 2, 3, and the last climb comes with just 13 kilometres to go, um, it's only 1.9 kilometres at 7.6%, so it's not completely easy. It's There's something there, but there's two Category 2s before that of 5 and 4 kilometres. So just think we'll see a breakaway survive tomorrow. Um, what kind of riders are we thinking that can actually go and win this sort of stage? If I knew that answer, I think all the teams would want to buy that off me tonight because, no, look, I think they'll know, the teams will know. Look, it's guys like Chikorne... But he can't do that now because he's in yellow. Julian Alaphilippe can't do that because he's in second place. I don't think so, anyway. Well, yes and no, because Alaphilippe almost doesn't care. It's, it's having a crack at getting it back. Uh, but does he really care? He knows he's probably not going to be in the podium in Paris. He knows he's about to lose a lot of places somewhere in the mountain very soon. He's got few chances to have a crack at it. It's true. I, I can't imagine the general classification riders would let guys like Alaphilippe Chikone go up the road and take two, three minutes. So I think if the break is to survive, I think it'll it'll win by maybe a couple of minutes. So we've got to see riders that are, uh, you know, a fair way down. Um, saying that, you just don't know what might unfold. You might see, because look, it's 43 kilometres before the first climb, the base of the first climb. 
So you might suddenly see five riders jump off the front and then you get the sprinters teams go, okay, now we'll actually try and control this. We will try and control it over these smaller climbs for our sprint for our sprinters. So they'll just set a tempo that the rest of the peloton will go, oh, beauty, okay, we don't have to do anything. Trek will say, great, we don't, second day in a row, we've got the yellow, we don't have to get on the front. And it's perfect because we don't have to potentially worry about Philippe getting time bonuses at the end because the sprinters then will just ramp it up and bring it back towards the end and they'll, they'll, they'll sort of gamble that they'll drag their sprinters over the last couple of climbs of the day. So, yeah, I think it's a real, it's a bit of a mystery what will actually happen tomorrow. I can't get you any. It's like draw, it's like drawing blood out of a stone on on my on our tipping competition. I'm tr- I'm fishing for information here. And this is probably one of the hardest to pick. I think it is. Well, I, look, I'll tell you this. I, th- I don't trust you, so go go for it. Yeah, I'm going to go with an opportunist move. I'm going to go with an opportunist move, but it has to be the exact right combination. Because if there's a guy at one minute, forget it. If, you know, if there's six riders in the break and five of them are at 10, 20 minutes off the general classification and then you've got a guy at two minutes, it probably won't last because they'll, they'll Drek Segafredo will do their bit to, to bring it, to, to keep it inside that. And then the sprinters teams will get a sniff of the finish, so they'll bring it back completely. So it's, yeah, it really is. Uh, who knows? Absolutely. But yet again, there is something you like, you because we talked about it, but the bonification... That is really working well in this sort of thing. This is spicing things up. Yeah, I think it's eight stages. And again, it comes, get this, it comes. Actually, it's the top of that climb. It's the top of the Category 3. So if Julian Alaphilippe wins that and Giacconi does not place, Alaphilippe will have yellow by day's end if they finish on in the bunch together. Do you think this is what's been planned at the Koenig? Yeah, surely, totally. That's what, make, that is, that is, that's what will make this finale of this stage extra special because you'll get Alaphilippe launching I think big time Ciccone is no slouch he won the King of the Mountains classification at the Giro to tell you by the way so he's actually pretty handy he'll glue himself to Alaphilippe and they'll be they'll be doing the calculations tonight of what needs to unfold but then because of that surge will it offload the sprinters and will it will it force another attack from another rider so I think yeah, I think there's so much can happen. And will Deconic Quickstep try and control it to that point? Because it's a long way to control a peloton just to go for, what is it, eight seconds or something. You know, you're controlling a peloton for 180 kilometres and there's no guarantees you'll get the yellow jersey and there's no guarantees you'll get the stage win. So it's a, it's a real tricky one. It is a smoky. But that was quite a good uh, podcast, uh, Micah, for someone that hasn't seen the race for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. We've patted you on the back enough. That'll do. That'll do. You did all right. You, I'm trying. I'm trying. You've bluffed your way through it. You did get the washing on it done. Did you fold everyone's washing, though? I did, actually. I did. And I hope they appreciate uh, my folding. Thank you, Micah, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you very much. They're packing up behind us. It's time to go, I think. It is. It, we're going to get out of here. We might, we might, otherwise, we might, we might get hit by a flying barrier. Absolutely. Remember that you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash tdf or log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Until tomorrow, it's bye for now. A quick shout out from our sponsor before we go. If you're looking for a new way to ride without traffic or punches getting in your way, hop on Zwift. We use it. Your cycling buddies probably use it. And the pros, they definitely use it. Zwift turned indoor training into a full-on gaming experience. 
connect your PC, Mac or Apple device and you'll pedal with thousands of cyclists around the world. And there's a good chance you'll see a pro on there too. Loads of them are on Zwift on their rest days riding around Wattopia. Give them a ride on if you see them. If you've got a trainer, start your free trial on Zwift.com.